Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. I have another one of those stories today that has been told a gabillion times on podcasts and true crime shows. But you know me, I just can't take these stories at face value. I have to tell it in my own way. This is the murder of John Altucher. For those of you that don't recognize the victim's name, of course you don't, because this is always told as the Dexter Killer case, which is the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. This asshat had nothing to do with the fictional Dexter, number one, he's not fictional, and nothing about him is entertaining. He's not attractive, he doesn't work in any capacity in law enforcement or forensics, he doesn't live in Florida or own a boat, and he certainly doesn't target bad people. I have watched Dexter. I enjoyed it as a fictional storyline. A bad guy doing good things or a good guy doing bad things. I get it. The classic anti-hero created for pure entertainment value. So we're not going to give this story any pet names to mitigate the horror and trauma he inflicted on John Altucher. And unlike Dexter, which again is fictional, you don't see the long ripple effects of this case and the many, many lives that were shattered by actions of one person. John, or Johnny as his friends called him, was born in Vancouver, B.C. on April 28, 1970, as John Brian Altinger to his mum, Alfred. I don't know his father's name, but based on my research, it sounds like he wasn't involved with Johnny or his older brother, Gary. He's not mentioned in Johnny's obituary or anywhere, so it kind of leads me to that conclusion. But Johnny and Gary had a very tight connection. Gary was seven years older and had really wanted a sibling, so Johnny was very special for him. Johnny grew up fascinated by computers and the internet, which was just kind of up and coming for us around his age in our early 20s. He was online on message boards using a rotary dial-up connection and playing old school versions of online games like Legend of the Red Dragon and would use his modem to connect to other people, which was before people started using the internet to hide their true identities. The innocent age of the internet, so to speak, before Pornhub and Tinder. In his late 20s, Johnny moved to Edmonton, Alberta. He got a job at Argus Machine, which manufactured oil field equipment. He worked the night shift, and as he described once on Facebook, measure, 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 pick a little fondle part and measure some more. He had a really great sense of humor and loved motorcycles. He had two of them. He had a Honda 500cc and a Yamaha 1200 sport bike, and he treated them like his babies. He had his bachelor's pad, which he kept neat and tidy, and he loved going paintballing with his friends. But having grown up on computers, he was a bit awkward with the ladies, and he got friend-zoned quite a bit. So by the fall of 2008, marriage and true love had so far eluded him. But he was a very kind and gentle soul, and he kept a positive attitude on his Plenty of Fish account, hoping one day his princess would arrive, and he would have been 
a very interesting person to talk to. He was interested in spirituality and particularly metaphysics, which is kind of like philosophy, but more about reality outside of our senses and perception. It's more abstract than philosophy, like less about what is the purpose of life, but more what is life? What is the nature of space and time? One of his friends told the Edmonton Journal he'd love to get people to open their minds and think outside the box. He was a positive, upbeat person who tried to get people to turn their negative thoughts to positive thoughts. So in early October, when he started to connect with a woman named Jen on Plenty of Fish, Johnny was a pretty happy camper. And as you non-Canadians are learning, October is when we celebrate Thanksgiving here. So Thanksgiving was October 12, 2008, which was the Sunday. And Johnny had arranged to take his friend Dale Smith for a motorcycle driving lesson that day. On the Friday, he called Dale and told him that he was going to meet this girl Jen at her place that night. Now, Dale did kind of get his instincts up a little bit because he didn't have an actual address for her, just instructions on how to get to her place. So Dale told him to call him when he got there and give him the address. Dale and Johnny aren't dummies about online catfish, and this just felt a little fishy to to Dale. Dale's protective of his friend's heart and just doesn't want him to get hurt or disappointed. And sure enough, Jenny called him from Jen's place, disappointed that she wasn't there. But it wasn't a total loss. She did exist, at least, and her roommate, it turns out, was this guy that was making a movie in his garage and showed him around a little bit, some kind of horror movie or serial killer thing. So he showed him a few props and called Jen for him, who it turns out was stuck in traffic. So Johnny told told him to tell her um, that they're just going to reschedule for the next evening. But about an hour later, Dale gets an email, which in itself is a little bit strange, saying, she's home now, I'm heading over again, hee hee. So on the Sunday, Dale doesn't hear from him about going riding on the motorcycle. So he figures, well, the date must have really worked out for him. You know, wink, wink kind of thing. On the Monday, though, things get weird. His office receives his letter of resignation that he's met a woman and is going to Costa Rica with her until December. And his work is like, well, he had a ton of vacation days banked. So why would he quit and why on such short notice? But Dale and Johnny's mom, who was actually on a flight to Mexico at the time, uh, and one of his female friends all receive a very similar email from him saying, I've met an extraordinary woman named Jen who has offered to take me on a nice long tropical vacation. We'll be staying in her winter home in Costa Rica. Phone number to follow soon. I won't be in town until December 10th, but I'll be checking my emails periodically. Right away, they all find a few things wrong with this. First, like, what the what? Johnny in a tropical place? There's no way he hates the heat. And what about his bikes? He treated his bikes like his babies. And when Dale drove by on the Sunday, his bikes weren't covered up. And Johnny liked his bikes so much that he would actually get a friend a lot of times to babysit them if he was going to be away. So this is super weird. He also didn't sign off with one of his usual jokes or smiley faces. And to just blow off his job, like, no way. Something is seriously up. So they all start emailing him back. Crickets. His MSN messenger comes up with a status update for him. I've got a one-way ticket to heaven and I'm not coming back. And by the 17th, a couple of his friends used his spare key to get into his apartment to check things out. There were dishes left in the sink. Red flag. His passport is still there. 
red flag and his luggage is all still there. So they hightail it to the police armed with the directions to this Jen's place he thankfully and very smartly gave to Dale. And those directions led them to a house on the south end of Edmonton. And the house was owned by a couple that denied knowing anything about Jen or Johnny. But when they asked, well, what's with your garage, which had dark plastic over the windows, they tell the police that they actually rent the garage to this guy that makes movies in there. As a couple of weeks ago, there were a few of them coming in and out with cameras and tripods and whatnot. Well, who is this guy? Oh, a nice young man, early 30s, lives with his wife Jess and their little daughter Chloe over in St. Albert, which is just north of Edmonton. Mark Twitchell. Hmm, that's a bit odd. So they make their usual rounds in the neighborhood if anyone heard or saw anything unusual around October 10th. One neighbor says, I don't know anything about the Thanksgiving weekend, but the week before there was some poor sucker came running out of there like he was on fire and took off in a squealing hurry. Did you call the cops? No, I figured whatever it was about, he was gonna, like he was going to do that himself. Uh, but there's no record of any incident. But they managed to track down this guy with their police magic that they do. He was a young man named Gilles Tarot. Now, Gilles was embarrassed by the whole event, and he didn't call the police. He had been talking with a girl that he knew as Sheena on Plenty of Fish, only when he got to the same garage that Johnny showed up at, he was attacked by a guy wearing a hockey mask and a hoodie. He was tasered, and then there was quite a struggle, and that's when he ran out of the garage door and practically smack dab into the couple that told the police about it. And I'm going to let him explain what happened in his own words a little bit more. And this is from his interview with the police. He must have grabbed me, and um, we started struggling. Oh, and I'm guessing during this, that's when I'm like, okay, I got to try to fight. And that's something I missed, actually. I tried punching him too, but I was so weak. And I'm, I remember trying to punch him. And I know I can't hit this mask because that's going to hurt my hands. So I'm trying to punch him in his chest. And I'm thinking, man, why am I so weak? And my punches aren't, I feel like I'm not doing anything. And it's like my punches are so weak. And then, uh, so I realized, okay, I'm punching him. I'm not going to do anything. He's way bigger than me. And I I'm not, can't do anything. So then I started uh, trying to kick him in the but I tried a few times, didn't uh, Did you get him? No. Did you hit him? No. Couldn't. And did he hit you? No. What about kick you? Uh, he tried, but he, he, I, I swerved as well. So I... Like, is this an all-intense battle, or is it like... No, that's the thing, is like... This is the whole thing. This is what I'm thinking. While I'm doing this, this guy, he had... If he was more professional, he could have killed me right away like right when i walked in i didn't see him he could have hit me over the head with a a, a bat a, a baton or anything yeah. he could have knocked me unconscious right away and i i don't know why he did that his whole plan was to use this taser thing on me first I and mean, i was stupid on his part but he had many chances to kill me he never did so he had a that's why i thought afterward all this happened he had a bigger plan for me i thought he maybe he was going to handcuff me and take me somewhere and do something so you're now so you're now trying to punch him you feel weak you're yeah. trying to kick him you're not connecting. yeah that's when he goes well since you're not cooperating this is the way it has to be now and then he starts punching me in my left side of my face and for some reason again 
it would have been more effective for him to punch me in the nose, the eyes, you know, something. Because if he'd punch me in the nose, I'd have been down, right? But he's punching the side of the head, trying to get my temple or knock me unconscious for some reason. I'm not sure, but tell me about the struggle. Tell me about the struggle with the gun. See, now this is for this is weird because I'm facing this way. He pulls the gun out again, and for some, I think because I. I grabbed the gun. Somehow we maneuvered. We were um, struggling again. And I'm trying to break the gun, right? So we're struggling. And somehow I ended up this way again, struggling with this gun. And he's here back at the door, okay? So Because I just remember the door being there. And then I'm just trying to break this gun because this is... <laughs> I know it's plastic and I know if I... What's he doing? He, he's yelling at me because he doesn't want me touching his gun. And so... Then uh, I wouldn't let go, obviously, but, and I had a hold of his arm, his other arm, just in case he tried to punch me in the left, but he never did. And so we're just struggling. I'm just, it, you can tell, it's just weird that, because he, if he was a real gun, he would have fired it or whatnot. He never did. He had nothing, and he didn't, he, he never, just wasn't professional. It was just like, it was maybe his first time. That's how I thought of it. Brave guy, also very lucky. Now, this all probably sounds kind of strange, but Gilles had thought he was talking to a girl online. So between feeling duped, embarrassed, and that whoever this guy was probably knew who he was, he didn't go to the police when it happened. He just went home with his tail between his legs, thankful to be alive and a bit more wiser about online dating. I will be right back after these brief messages. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time they start looking a little bit closer at this Mark Twitchell guy. Married with a baby or not, and maybe somebody's been using his rented garage for some nefarious reasons, but something's up. So they call Mark in St. Albert, which is about an hour's drive in traffic from the garage, and he says, well, let me come down there right away. And he does to the garage, and he says that the lock on the garage is wrong. 
There's a deadbolt on the door, but also a padlock. And his is one of those metal ones with the black face. And this one is all metal. So they take him to the station to get a little bit of information. And they're asking him all this stuff like, well, who else has access to the garage? And he's basically just acting very surprised by the whole thing. Like, how could his garage be linked to a missing person's case? The last time he was at the garage was the day of October 10th. Now, a lot of what him and the detective talk about is a lot of blah, 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 blah about the film industry that Mark works in with his production crew. So I cut out the blah, blah, blah and left in the part about the garage for you. Okay, the indications we have, and we've got this through our investigations, and the address comes up, and the, the garage is described, and he actually says that he was there on that particular day. The particular day we're talking about is, that, is the, I think, the 15th. The 15th? Okay. Now, and I may be mistaken, I may be mixing a couple of things up, but I think the 15th. And that's the day you're indicating that you were probably down there putting supplies there. Okay, yeah. Okay. Like on Wednesday or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in and around the same sort of time frame that you were there. You know, that he would have been there. Okay. Like in the afternoon. Really? Yeah. And he was supposed to go there and meet a girl. Who described the address and told her how to get there. Now this is really met through, you know, an internet uh, site. Okay. Doesn't know her from before. So he, of course, lets friends know where he's going. Right. Sends it out to a few friends. All of a sudden, he disappears. Last known place was there. Said he went there. Met a guy. The girl wasn't there. Met a guy in the garage. In the garage? Apparently. Okay. Can you tell me? What what does it explain to you? Tell me what you're thinking. Well, it explains the foreign padlock. If he switched it out or something like that, that makes sense. Who switched it? Whoever this guy is. Well, he didn't switch anything. He went there and met met somebody there. Yeah. Okay, but that's what I mean. Like, whoever he met there. Yeah. Because I don't know anybody else that has access unless they, you know, accessed it themselves, pretty much. So your lock was totally gone off there. Yeah. Okay. The latch was still there, but a different padlock's there. So anybody could have come along with a set of bolt cutters, cut yours off, put their own on, right? That still doesn't give them access to the garage because there's still a deadbolt, right? Yeah. This guy indicates to his friends that he arrived, met a guy in there, the girl wasn't there, got a call from her later. Okay. Was going back to the garage. And that's where the cold trail goes. Cold on us. 
So, okay, let me get this straight. Yeah. The guy who's missing. Yeah. Shows up to my garage. Right. Fifty-seven twelve forty at that. Yeah. Claims to have been in it. Yeah, and talk to a guy. Talk to another guy. Yeah. So now there's two of them. And then he leaves. Because the girl's out there. That he's supposedly. Right. Okay. okay. And then he talks to her on the phone. I don't know that he talks to her on the phone or if he gets a message from her or which way that one was. Okay. Okay. He somehow ends up communicating yeah. with her and then comes Go back. back to the garage to meet her. Okay. Hmm. All right. Now, does that sound like anything that you know about? Not at all. Does it sound like anything that could be related in any way to any movie sort of stuff you're doing? Or? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm, a, I'm the producer. I pretty much control all the elements. Yeah. So if there was anything like that, if somebody needs to borrow the place or whatever, then they would let me know. So they would let you know. Um, they, or they yeah. ask or something like that. So, yeah, no, I don't know anything about that. No. Does the name Jen mean anything to you? No, Gospel will ask me about that too. And yeah, don't know Jen or anything like that. So the name Jen doesn't mean anything to you. You don't know a Jen. You don't have an actress named Jen. Mm -hmm. What's your wife's name? Jess. Jess. So once again, John Altenier is not a name you've known. You, nobody like that has tried to rent the place from you. Nobody by the name of Jen means anything to you. No. No relatives named Jen. Oh, maybe back to the list. Okay. <laughs> All right. My mom's worth twelve. <laughs> so you know, I, let me get back to you on that one. It's a checker for sure, but yeah. Um, no, that's. I'm trying to think like it. But what Twitchell didn't know was that the police already knew about the filmmaker Johnny had met in the incident the week before. But he had given permission to the police to search the garage, and they had asked him if they, he'd seen a red Mazda. Funny thing about the red Mazda. Seems he was so darn tired when he talked to the police on that day on October 18th that he completely forgot about the red Mazda. So he writes an email to Mike Tabler, the detective that he was talking to, saying... I was running on fumes and very tired, so I missed a couple of things. On Wednesday, something odd happened when I was on my way to the garage to drop off my supplies. He stopped by a gas station by the Mary Brown's Chicken and this guy knocks on his window. I assume he's either going to ask for change or for directions. Instead, he asked me if I want to take a car off his hands. I was somewhat skeptical, of course, but he said that he had shacked up with this rich sugar mama who was going to buy him a new BMW, and he didn't care about keeping the one that he had. He said he would give it to me for whatever I had on me, which was 40 bucks. 
Mark asked him to bring the car to the garage to his garage for him, and it turns out it was a manual, not an automatic. So he called his friend to come and park it at his place until he could find out the history on it and then sell it, and describes the guy as looking a lot like Johnny Altinger. So this sounds like BS, right? If I ever bought a car for $40, I think I would remember it if I was tired or not. So they bring him in, and this time the attitude of the detectives changes a little bit. There's something else I want to tell you, Mark, and that's that there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that you're involved in the disappearance of John Altinger. No doubt in my mind at all, Mark. Why? You're involved in this, and unfortunately, something got carried away. Something got carried away with this guy. I mean, talking to you here tonight, you seem like a decent guy. And I think that something happened that night that maybe you just didn't have total control of. Because that what you've been telling me hasn't been the truth. Has it, Mark? This can't be... I don't... What do you mean it can't be? I just don't understand. Well, what don't you understand? We have a fellow who's missing. We know he's been to your garage. We've talked to all the neighbors now. You know, the neighbors saw you changing the lock about a week, week and a half ago. Neighbors watch. They see all these things. Little things that you don't realize. Okay? We know the lock was changed long before the 15th. Yeah, when you get there on the 15th, you tell me, oh, that's your lock on there on the 15th. Specifically, do you remember talking to the constable last night? Specifically, you talked to the constable last night. He specifically asked you three or four times, do you remember seeing a red car any time around your garage, anything? No, officer, I don't remember anything about a red car. Yet now, and you never mention that to Detective Tabler. Not once do you mention a red car or buying a car off of an individual you didn't know for $40. I mean, you have a barrel in your garage. A barrel you say you buy for garbage. Everyone knows in the movie industry those are known as burn barrels. Yeah, you're involved over your head in this. Is thing. anything that you're saying genuine, or is this some sort of tactic? You got to get away from the acting part, Mark, and listen to what I'm saying. You have told me nothing but lies. An innocent man does not come in here and tell lies. That's genuine, Mark. Everything I'm telling you in here is genuine. So get out of your film producer mode and the facade of thinking that everyone's an actor because this is real life. 
They get search warrants for his garage, his car, the Mazda, and his house in St. Albert, much to his wife's shock and surprise, of course. Found in those places were blood samples belonging to Johnny Altinger, and on a pair of Mark's jeans, a hunting kit, a steel pipe, a hunting knife, the trunk of Mark's car, and a glove. They also found a laptop that had some interesting documents on it, one called Profile of a Psychopath, and the other... SK Confessions, the SK clearly refers to serial killer. And these documents, although alleged to be fictional by Mark, are pretty much a description of both Jill's and Johnny's attacks. Also discovered, a customs declaration form for a hockey mask. In this SK Confessions document, he describes that he took a 45-gallon drum, Johnny's now dismembered body and some garbage bags to his parents' house where he burned them in the backyard while they were away at work. A burn pattern consistent with a 45-gallon drum was found on his parents' property. Okay, so obviously he was charged with first-degree murder and it went to trial because he figured pleading not guilty was going to work and all. It didn't. He was convicted in 2011, but of course he tried to sully Johnny's name by claiming it was him who had attacked Mark. So... His mom and brother hopes that he rots there. But I want to talk a bit about this guy, not because I want to give him more airtime than he's already gotten and certainly doesn't deserve, uh, but so that you can just see how diabolical this guy is and how many lives have essentially been ruined by him. Mark was born in Edmonton to normal parents in 1979. They moved to the U.S., but he came back to Canada in the 1990s and went to Nate, where he studied film. During school, he was known as a bit of a liar and would fall down on group projects and then make elaborate excuses about it. He worked on a project about Star Wars, and to promote it, they did this charity fundraiser for, a, for the Children's Wish Foundation. Mark auctioned off some original conceptual drawings he claimed were from the actual production crew of Star Wars the Phantom Menace, but they were forgeries, and when confronted about it, he lied and said he had no idea about it. He got married to a woman from Illinois. That marriage didn't work out. They divorced in 2004, I believe. He then met Jess, who became wife number two. He met her on Plenty of Fish, of course. They had a daughter named Chloe in 2008, so Chloe was just a baby at the time of Johnny's murder. Mark wasn't the best husband. I mean, that's pretty obvious, being a murderer and all, but also in some other ways. He didn't work a lot. His film projects were mostly not very successful. And she caught him on Plenty of Fish, and he claimed that he was doing research for a story. Uh, and I guess in some ways he was. But he also had a mistress, which he lied about. Although when she was pregnant, he did confess to Jess that he was thinking about starting up with his ex now that she was getting divorced at the time. So by that October of 2008, he was sleeping in the basement of their house, but he was seeing a counselor. And then that's where Jess thought that he actually was on the night that he murdered Johnny. She thought they were trying to work on things. It was around August 2008 when Mark decided to give being a serial killer a go. He he had been making short films based on a guy luring men to his kill room, and he, of course, was watching episodes of Dexter. Around this time, he started to buy a collection of knives, cleavers, saws, rolls of duct tape, and that 45-gallon steel drum. A couple of weeks before Gilles was lured to his garage, Mark and a couple of buddies were working on a project very similar to what happened to Gilles and Don Johnny. Mark came up with this great idea to market it. He would lure strangers to the garage that was done up like a kill room and then tell them, oh, we lied, no internet date, 
And then they would ask them to blog about the experience as if they'd been terrorized. I'm pretty sure his buddies told him that was the worst marketing idea ever. But it's interesting that a week later, this is almost exactly what happened to Gilles. Only he was really terrorized. In Mark's account, Johnny's death was a terrible accident. He told him about the prank and Johnny became enraged and attacked him, so he fought back. Then, of course, dismembered him, as you do when defending yourself, and disposed of him in the sewer of all places, and then used his keys and ID to break into his apartment and use his laptop to write a couple of emails so no one would look for him. The next day, he took his wife to dinner at a comedy club before celebrating Thanksgiving with her parents. Of course, what he actually did was bludgeon him with a pipe and then stab him before cutting him up and burning him and putting the rest of him down the storm sewer. Before his arrest, he went on face, a Facebook group and said, I have to recommend everybody stop talking to the police or not start if you haven't already. You all have a right to silence and you should exercise that right. I'm sure no one in this group carries guilt, so you have nothing to fear. But I've been screwed around with and I don't appreciate it, so it's time to stop this and make them do their own jobs. Sometimes what we see on TV is in fact a true representation of how they work. Sometimes they do lie and make things up in order to make you say things they would otherwise they otherwise would not just so that they can have an answer for the media. I'm serious, the time for dry, sarcastic humor and flaky jokes is over, and this is no prank. If they ask you questions, just tell them you don't know anything. Like, that's not suspicious. After his conviction, Mark started exchanging letters with a journalist who was working on a book about him named Steve Lilliboon. In these letters, he wrote things that it is what it is, I am what I am, it would appear that I'm unique in the world, there's no key, no root cause. But also that I killed Johnny Altinger in a horrible accident of self-defense. After cursorily shoving aside my human sensibilities, I dealt with his remains in a disrespectful manner that traumatized me forever. In December 2012, Michael C. Hall, who is the actor who played Dexter Morgan, was interviewed on the show Q. He said, I would hope that people's appreciation was more than some sort of fetishization with the kill scenes. I wouldn't stop making Dexter because someone was fascinated by it only in that way. I try to tell myself their fixated nature would have done it one way or the other, but it seems that Dexter had something to do, do with it. It's horrifying. In May 2013, Mark got himself a TV for his cell and caught up on every episode of Dexter that he had missed since his arrest. In 2017, he was discovered on a pen pals dating site for convicts. I am looking for an interesting, intelligent, open-minded, delightfully imperfect woman to relate to and share amusing observations with, as well as potentially a long weekend every few months, if it gets there naturally. His expected release date is 2027. Now, here is some interesting things about this dating site. It's called Canadian Inmates Connect, and it's run by a woman named Melissa Fazina. Now, Canadian inmates don't actually have access to the internet or email, so they can't set up their own profiles. So what Melissa does is she sends them a membership application and a couple and has them send a couple of pictures and payment. And of course, there you go. She says, quote, they don't have to go into everything they've done what their crime entails, anybody's free to ask if you want to write them and ask them about it, but they just state what they're in prison for, first degree, robbing banks, whatever the case may be. Legally, it's a human right. It doesn't matter what they're in prison for, they can still join the website. They're putting themselves out there. 
As far as Mark goes, she says, my impression about him is I see past what he's done. I'm not naive. I'm not gullible. We all make mistakes in life. Some are much worse than others, but I don't think that should be the focus. Anytime I communicate with one of these guys, I don't necessarily focus about their crimes or what they've done. And while Mark is out there looking for other lives to ruin, he has already ruined the lives of his parents, his wife, of course, and his daughter, who would now be a teenager. I'm sure that's a lot of fun for her. And then there's Gilles, who's traumatized as the guy that narrowly survived a serial killer, Johnny and his friends and family. The investigators and the lawyers have all been affected, and yet he's been given the pet name of the Dexter Killer. He is currently serving his sentence in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And that was the murder of Johnny Altinger. And I will be back again next week with another case. As always, thank you so much for listening. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.